The opinions expressed by the guests and contributors of this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Cornell University or its employees. Expressing your authentic self is something we preach about in the workplace. But what does it mean when you express yourself differently in front of your coworkers, supervisor, and faculty, all in one space? On today's episode, we'll be exploring the topic of code switching. Code switching is a well-documented term that highlights the common practice of switching languages and forms of expression in our everyday actions. We'll be having a conversation with a special guest, one that you're all familiar with, on today's show. My name is Anthony Sis. My name is Toral Patel. And you are listening to the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. Before we start, I want to acknowledge that my co-host, Toral, is unfortunately not able to be here for the interview portion of this episode. She sent us an audio from Dallas, Texas to tell us a little bit about how she's doing during this quarantine. Toral, how are you doing today? Thank you, Anthony. I am doing well. I'm still in Dallas, Texas. For those of you that don't know, I have been in Texas for the past few weeks because my mom's been in the hospital, non-COVID virus related. And so I am down here helping my family and helping her recover. And I hope to be back in Ithaca, New York soon. Thank you, Toro, for the message. We really miss you and we hope that your mother has a speedy recovery. I also wanted to take the time to acknowledge those who are listening who are directly or indirectly impacted by COVID-19. I've seen a lot of personal messages on Facebook and on other social media outlets that have really showcased the impact of COVID-19 during this particular period. And so I just want to emphasize that as a department and as an institution, we acknowledge that this is simply just not an easy time for any of us. We are thinking of you in our department and are continuing to provide resources such as this podcast to continue to stay engaged with each other and with our workforce here at Cornell. In DIWD, we're still providing virtual trainings, reviewing biased incident reports, and regularly supporting our colleague network groups. So if you have any questions or would like more information on any of these services, including how to be part of a colleague network group, visit diversity.cornell.edu or simply just send us an email at owdi at cornell.edu. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. Our guest today is someone very special. I know we say that about all of our guests because each one is truly special, but you'll know who today's guest is if you have ever heard any of the episodes on this podcast. We always shout him out at the end because he truly makes us sound wonderful each and every episode, but yet you don't really know much about him other than the fact that he is our sound engineer, which is why our guest today is the one, the only, Bert Odom Reed. Bert, thank you for being a guest on today's episode. We are in quarantine. We are practicing social distancing. And so actually, we didn't really disclose this, but we're, we're doing this remotely. I'm doing this particularly in my closet, in my apartment. And so this is a pretty exciting time, but I'm super happy and thrilled that you are our guest for today's show. Oh, Anthony, I'm so excited to be here. As usual, let's start by formally introducing yourself to our listeners. Where do you work? 
where did you grow up, as well as the pronouns that you use. All right. My name, actually the full name is Bertrand Odom Reed. That comes from the Creole in me. So South Louisiana, whoop, whoop. And I uh, go by the pronouns of he, him, his. And I am an audio engineer and multimedia producer at Cornell University and have been for the last uh, few decades. I'll just say it that way. And I really enjoy working on multiple projects and things like that because it always enlightens me to hear other, other voices and other thoughts on, on life itself. That's awesome. And you're still our sound engineer for this episode. So you're doing two tasks right now, which I extremely thank you for. <laughs> and you're welcome. <laughs> all right. Well, as we always do with all of our guests, Bert, you know this very well. We have a question of the day. So nonetheless, I have a question of the day for us to answer, which is very appropriate, I think, given this quarantine and everything that is going on. The question of the day. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. I am so ready. <laughs> You'll finally be able to answer it. This is great. <laughs> so the question is, who are you checking in on or connecting with today? Oh, um, that's fairly easy. Beyond my immediate family, which is my wife, my son who's four, my daughter who's 14. I'm checking in on my neighbor on both sides. One is a caterer and she's I think she's probably 80 uh, people in the local Ithaca area know who she is because it's soul food kind of catering. And my neighbor on the other side is a musician and former drummer and his wife. And so I check in on them and I'm checking in on my cousin Pearl. So cousin Pearl is in her 80s. She is a New Orleans transplant post Katrina. So her house was in the Ninth Ward and got flooded. And so she came up here with the family. And so I'm checking on her and just brought her some Sunday dinner. Yeah, that's great. That's really great. Sounds like you're checking in a lot of people. I don the little surgical gloves and my little mask and off I go. All right. And you also got your family at home as well. So you're checking in on them, of course, you know, not to yeah. underestimate that as well. So and then I will ask you, Anthony. Who are you checking in on? <laughs> For me, so it's interesting because I live alone. I don't have any roommates. And I am extremely grateful with everything going on, just not having to worry about having as much interaction with other people and potentially, you know, being at a risk even in my own home. So it's just nice to kind of live alone. But it's also made me really go out of my way to check in on people that I probably normally wouldn't have checked in on. So I've actually been having a lot of Zoom calls with friends who I haven't spoken to in about a couple of years, but I you follow them via social media. So I'll reach out to those types of folks and just say, hey, you know, I know with everything going on, I'm sure you're probably either working from home or you're currently not working. I have a lot of friends who, who unfortunately are either furloughed or lost their jobs. So just checking in with them to make sure that they're doing okay. But in particular with this question, how it says, you know, who are we checking in on today? Uh, in particular, I called my mom earlier this morning. Just to kind of hear her voice, I know she's been working a lot. She's considered an essential worker and works for the post office. So she also has weak lungs. And so I'm very much worried about her health. And since all of this kind of began, I made sure I emphasized to her. I'm like, I hope you're wearing a mask and gloves, not because you, but because other people and because of your lungs and your health conditions. So she's been practicing that, which is really great at work. She'll wear her mask, she'll wear her gloves. 
she's been wearing it for a few weeks now. It's she's not a big fan of them, <laughs> particularly it can be a little bit uncomfortable, she says at times. But, you know, it's all about her health. And so I'm glad that she's being proactive about it. We pretty much check in almost every day. I mean, even before the quarantine began, we talked regularly about two or three times a week. I think now it's gone to at least every day, if not every other day at most. So she's definitely the person I'm checking in on, as well as my sister and my dad, who are also considered essential workers. My grandma, I'm checking in a lot with her because she lives in a senior citizen home. So, you know, it's and they're all in Chicago. So I think that's part of the mm-hmm. challenge, too, is I'm out here by myself. So I'm, it's really forcing me to go out of my way, but not in a negative way, just to make sure everyone's OK. You know, if my family's good. So that's who I'm checking in on specifically is my mom. All right. We do check in on my wife's family, her mom in specific, uh, down in Pensacola. Yeah, and, and well, Florida right now, it's, I used to live in Miami, so I know in Florida, it's definitely, you know, there's a lot of older folks that live there, and I'm definitely checking out a lot of, with my folks in Miami, people that I still know out there, and yeah, it's, it's everywhere. This is unprecedented, and the people who talked about the Great Depression, the people who talked about the, <laughs> the problems in 2008. Uh, this is one the world will talk about. The optimist in me wants to say that we will come out of this a better people. I mean, a global people, I hope. Lord, I hope. Absolutely. I'm 100% in agreement with you on that. All right, Bert. So before we dive deeper into this topic of code switching, which I know is something that we've talked about a little bit in private conversations, I think it'd be nice for the listeners just to know a little bit about who you are, where you come from in terms of, you know, what led you into this work. So I figured we can start off the conversation there and go from there. Oh, sure. Um, Who am I? Grew up early part of my life in Louisiana. My family was very active in integration, etc. Louisiana did what many southern states and others did where when the Brown versus Board of Education happened, they gave a few years before integration was mandatory. And the main reason was to build private schools that were, of course, separate again. So that's why when I hear private school funding, I'm not really a big fan. I know in large cities, the private schools are a little different, but it's a different thing to me. And I'll just jump forward to seventh grade. Moved to Ithaca, where my grandmother gave us some money, and she said, now, I've already given you money to go into your educational fund, so this money I want you to use to do something with that you're interested in. I bought a Super 8 film camera, a Super 8 projector, and an editor, and I started making films. I found that I liked the art of mixing audio, so adding music tracks, adding narration, clipping this and clipping that beyond just the frame of the film. That started me down a road that was a little bit more audio than video, but I still do both. And that has followed me ever since when I started at Cornell after going through a career that I shouldn't have been in anyway which was banking. Uh, It was boring me to tears and sucking my soul Uh, in Connecticut. I came back to doing multimedia production. And uh, if you don't mind, if I share with our listeners too, I know you have an album as well because you're also a musician. So So you forgot to throw that into the mix, but I think it's a very, yeah. I went to Grambling State University in North Louisiana, which is an HBCU. 
Yeah, for those of you who are wondering what an HBCU is, it's a historically black college and university. That's also the university that my parents met and my oldest sister went. I had my brothers who went to Cornell, but I said, I'm not staying in Ithaca another winter. I'm going somewhere warm. And I hear you. <laughs> at Grambling, I started DJing, but all along, I would write lyrics. So I had a notebook full of lyrics um, until in the 90s. I said, you know, I was working with a, another DJ friend of mine, and I said, well, let's go ahead and do an album. Back when albums were albums and we had to turn it into a CD. So we got our best songs, went to the studio and recorded an album, and I will say, we made a profit. <laughs> that is something to be very proud of. And I've heard the album, and there are some good songs on there. So, you know, yeah. it has a lot Thank of you. potential <laughs> to this day. <laughs> and, and now that I'm back in my little studio here, I tell you, I'm seriously thinking about doing some remix on some of it. Um, I like the lyrics to a song called Black Man more than I like the music to it. You oh, know, okay. Uh, yeah. The refrain of a chorus is four billion years and seven days have passed since the earth and the creatures were first created. 10,000 solar circles of modern man over the beast. We fight the beast within. Mm. I may be doing a remix, but I'll, I'll keep you posted on that. Please do. I'll be the first one to listen to it and have a, a listening party to it. I mean, whatever. It's all virtual now. So. <laughs> So as you talked about all of these different experiences, I know we kind of, you know, went back and then moved forward. But I do want to go back to what you mentioned about growing up in Louisiana and having been a part of that initial process of integration within the schools there. I mean, you were so young. So I think as you reflect on that experience and kind of moving forward, how it's impacted you as you've navigated these different spaces, you know, what are some of those things? things that you think about the most and if you feel comfortable sharing maybe just some experiences that it might remind you of like we've moved forward in a lot of areas but in some areas we're still yeah. going back you know what's interesting there's one part of this current COVID-19 distancing thing which I hadn't thought of for a long time but part of the code switching being an African-American male is you have to smile and put on a gentle face but with a mask on in the grocery store, that's not part of what you can do anymore. Mm. It's a little strange because I hadn't thought about how I do that on a regular basis, where you smile gently to people that you don't know or that you're passing, and you use that as a tool to be not threatening. Because in many cases, um, African-American males are seen as threatening. So I used to do that, of course, as a child in the mixed school, because in this little town called Greensburg, Louisiana, uh, think of a parish in South Louisiana where the total population was maybe 1,500 people. And my parents, being progressives, we were only one of three families that started the integration process before the next year when everybody had to do it. I was in the quote-unquote white school with very few other African-Americans. And I used to use smiling. I used to use extra kindness. If someone were to call me the N-word, which they did, or 
do other things, you know, knock the books out of your hand kind of thing. You had to turn the other cheek because if I responded in kind, I know that the punishment or the view on me would be much worse than the person who started the incident. Wow. That, I mean, I think that really hits the nail on the head with this topic. Um, you know, there, I don't think there was a smooth transition there, but I think it's totally appropriate in that code switching for many people, it's, it's really about safety. And I think sometimes there are people who code switch, right? We talk differently mm-hmm. when we talk to our supervisor, as I mentioned, or our coworkers versus our families. But depending on the identities that you carry and the experiences that you live on an everyday basis, a lot of times those code switching mechanisms, they're done intentionally, but also not as the preferred choice. A lot of times it's done out of safety, out of security. And I think a lot about just for me, especially too, as a Latino born queer person as well, you know, the things that my parents taught me about similar to what you were saying in terms of smiling and be act with kindness. Um, I grew up with a huge fear of authority figures. But for my parents, authority figures was basically anybody who was older than me. So the cops, teachers, anybody. So whenever I got in trouble for something, it was never their fault. It was always my fault. And I remember very distinctly this one experience in first grade where a white student and somebody who wasn't the same classroom as me accused me of having spit on them. And I went to the principal's office My mother came in. She was upset because she had to leave work early to get me. And I tried to explain to her the situation and she she did not care. Like, I mean, and not in a negative way. She just in her head, because I had I was the one who got in trouble by the principals. Therefore, I must have done something wrong. Uh, So the authority is the authority no matter what. No matter what. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I remember that experience is really shaking me a lot because it was it was something so minor but it had such an intense and serious consequence that that's when I began to really piece things together of like okay around certain people with certain identities I need to act a certain way because their perception of me is going to carry more weight if I'm ever caught in a situation where I'm either apprehended or like I I started putting things together as a result of that experience and I started saying okay well what's the difference between me and this person Why didn't they listen to me? Oh, well, he's white and I'm not. Okay, like, got it. Check. You know, so I started creating Mm -hmm. this internalized checklist of like things that I needed to do and ways that I needed to behave around certain people in order to not get in trouble, essentially. And when we forget, forget about who was right and who was wrong. It was just making sure I didn't get in trouble. So that way I didn't get that intense reprimand from my parents who were also taught these things as well growing up. Yeah. In terms of the value of code switching and it really being about survival of the fittest in a strange way, but like that's that's how kind of how I see it. Code switching is, you know, sometimes it's about community, but a lot of times in depending on the spaces, it's also just about survival. That's a a real key point. The backstory to that is in an unequal world, it's almost as your parents will say, didn't I teach you better than that than to get yourself in trouble? you know you got to treat them different. Mm, Yeah. Because the repercussions to you is going to be worse. Yeah, that's, wow. Yeah. And we are decades apart. (laughs) Well, and so, you know, that that brings up an interesting point that you mentioned that, Bert, right, is that we're generations apart, yet a lot of the teachings about 
of where code switching comes from is because of like what you said, the inequities that exist in the world that also places like our work are not immune to. No. Workplaces are also part of the world that we live in. So I'm wondering if there's similarly as well, if you feel comfortable sharing, I guess, maybe any particular experience that you can think of in a work setting where code switching for you was like a must in this situation. If I were to share code switching in, I'll say, current environment, um, in many cases, I see raises, promotions go to those who might not necessarily be the best person for the job, but they are friends with. They are colleagues of, they go to the same church as those who are providing those promotions. And they need to say, well, and I hate to use the word they, but they need to just say, I need this, this raise, I need this upgrade. And they just seem to say it once. For me, you have to bring in this whole case history. And, and I guess you have to show that other people think it's a good idea not you think it's a good idea Mm. that's that's really that's really profound and i think that also definitely highlights how biases creep up in systemic processes of things like hiring like promotions and raises and so i think that's such a, a very strong example of how that comes about and i know for me when it comes to just what this looks like at work so I speak three languages overall, including English, and I speak Spanish the most with my family. So for me, whenever I get a phone call and I'm at work that has to do with my family and I'm talking in Spanish, I get very like self-conscious mm. and I get very much like, what are other people who don't speak Spanish going to think of me speaking Spanish in the workplace? Are they going to think I'm talking about them? <laughs> if I talk really low, because Usually when I talk low, it's because I don't want to disturb other people. But then yeah, it turns into this, for me, what I feel is like a whole unnecessary spiral of ideas and thoughts that like if, I, if I'm talking to a family member, for example, that prefers Spanish, but I know they can also speak English, I'll just go to English if I'm at right. work. Yeah. And, and those types of things are really stressful. And then I think about it in retrospect, like I'm doing it out of convenience for other people, not for myself or the people who I'm talking to. So, you know, things like that when it comes to language or um, even different cultural practices, if I disclose it to other people and they're looking at me like, what? Like, <laughs> you know, why would we do it that way? Yeah. Um, so then I go back to my, okay, I'm just going to keep it like in my professional voice, my professional persona, whatever, and not talk about certain things that are relevant and very important to me, either culturally or linguistically. But because I know certain people might respond in a certain way, mostly a negative way, I'm like, forget it. I'm not even going to mention it. Or another another really good example, too, I think about this sometimes is when I'm with certain people who have similar identities to me, mm-hmm. like I just talk differently to them. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. if they're at work or not, I just talk differently to them because I know that they're, for lack of a better word, they're going to get it <laughs> for yeah. lack of a better word. But I can't talk in that same fashion or even express that similar statement to people who don't have similar identities to me because I don't want them to feel ostracized or feel like outsiders because I, as a person of color who's also queer, like know what that feeling is like. And the last place I'd want somebody to feel like that is at work. So, you know, these this code switching thing, sometimes it's survival-based. Sometimes it's just, it's not even related to that at all. But at work, it can be really challenging, especially when I think about people 
you know, I've had some interesting interactions with people who speak Spanish at work, for example. Yeah. Not just at Cornell, at other institutions where I'll look at them and kind of give them that look like, I heard you speak Spanish. Can I talk to you in Spanish? If I talk to you in Spanish, are people going to think we're talking about them? Because oftentimes it's not that, but it's just a matter of like, yeah. it's a way to build community sometimes where I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, I heard you talk Spanish. Let's talk Spanish to each other. Where are you from? And then everyone else is like looking at us like we're like, you know, got a third eye <laughs> or something. Yeah. And oh, I'm yeah. like, okay, I guess I'm going to go back <laughs> to my English. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's so challenging sometimes. It's like I said, you know, you don't want to make people uncomfortable, but you also want to build community. And I feel like oh, as yeah. a person of color with so many other identities as well, like finding community in those spaces where I don't need to act in a certain way, like in a professional way or whatnot, like if that's so important, you know, and I want to make those connections. It's a fine line. It's a tricky balance. It is. I'll just tell you one little short story. Finished this three, four day trip down in New York. It's rush hour. Traffic going across town in New York is slow. Just, oh my gosh, slow. Oh yeah. Well, I see across the street, a fraternity friend of mine, Stovell, who I hadn't seen in years. And in the van is me, my video producer, uh, videographer, and a executive producer. I'm driving the van and I pull over and I yell across the street, Stovell! He sees me and the idea of crossing Manhattan and seeing somebody you know from years ago is is so wild. In I mean, it's such a big city like New yeah, York, absolutely. In itself. And this is rush hour, right? And then he yells out, burn! And so he snakes his way across the traffic. And Stovell is six foot seven, 300 pounds. Oh, he's a, he's a tall guy. Very dark skin. I have the window open. And he comes up. And I'm out the window going, Stop, man, how you doing? And then all of a sudden, I see in his eyes, as he's looking in the van, my compatriots, they're kind of, oh, what is going on here? I don't right. get this. <laughs> so I had switched out of office Bert to fraternity friend Bert. And I guess we should be doing this right now. <laughs> and you got the hint afterwards. Like, yeah, right. And then I looked around and I said, uh, Gary, Deb, we've known each other, you know, and, and then, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, so, and then, of course, he started to speak a little bit more formal, I started to speak back to a little bit more formal, but we have to do that, because otherwise, and it is the same implied danger that they see if you are other than the office person. Right, yeah, and I think that's such a, you know, that's such an impromptu moment right that happened and then oh yeah oh and then you realize like you remember where you're at either at work (laughs) or on a work trip and right and sometimes those interactions can be a little bit challenging too but but i think they're they're very important though you know in order to to make sure we can feel like we're being our authentic selves too i mean i know personally i know i don't thrive in a workplace that doesn't allow me to be my authentic self so if Mm -hmm. i'm constantly having to code switch and it's getting to the point that it's stressing me out and affecting my productivity at work, that's usually my cue when I know I need to leave, like a, an organization or a workplace. Right. Um, and I've definitely been in situations like that too, where, for example, like navigating politics in an organization. Mm-hmm. I've worked at a place, I won't say where, but I've worked in a place where 
that affected my productivity and that affected my sense of belonging and how I expressed myself in terms of code switching. I mean, I felt like I was constantly having to code switch because anytime somebody came in, I didn't know who that person knew. I didn't know what they were coming to do. And were they coming to control my behavior? Were they really just coming to check in on me? You know, and so when it got to that level of stress and having to constantly code switch and then that's not even taking into consideration my personal identities that other people might think of me as X, Y, Z, so on and so forth. I'm like, I need to I need to transition out um, just for my own mental well-being and my own sanity. So. um so yeah, that's that's another challenging aspect of it. And sometimes the code switching could be things that we think and we perceive other people to think of us, but also in terms of the experiences that we share so far, I think it, it also actually comes from how people have treated us. That that yeah. is the reason why we code switch. So it's not always made up or always based on assumptions. Um, we base it off of our own experiences, having gone through these situations and how people treat us differently sometimes. Should I bring up the big one, which is... How do you respond when a police officer pulls you over? I think that's a great example of one, yeah. Yeah, you totally switch. And there is, that is a yes sirs, the softer voice, no sudden movements kind of thing. And actually the same guy who was in the van with me with the, um, with the Arnold incident, um, we were talking about being pulled over at one of our longer trips. He said, you know, when the police pull you over, you don't have to do what they say. I said, uh, no, I do. Because if I don't, I'm going to end up face planted on the pavement. Mm. You can say those things in a more forceful way and not get things done to you. For me, I can't do that. And it does go back to that safety issue of you respond to keep yourself safe. Because you also, you know, as you get along in life, you have more people who rely on you to be there for them. And you can't be there for them if you are locked up or beat up somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Cornell is, is actually, I think, doing fairly well. There are those that you run into who you know are just checking boxes, but the majority, I think, are doing what is right and becoming a little bit more self-aware of how they treat others. And the work that you do in your office, for instance, is vital to continuing that conversation and the uh, people being able to use the I statements of how they feel and how they perceive the world. So thank you to you and, and your colleagues. Would you say that you enjoy having the ability to code switch? <laughs> And this is Bert talking out loud. Boy, I didn't think this one through. You know, <laughs> it's like the ability to be able to integrate yourself in any different situation is a definite strength. The Texan in France, nobody can speak to him, although everybody in France speaks English. <laughs> yeah. When you go into different situations, I think it's important for all of us to have a little bit of, of awareness of what that culture is. So this is Burt Soapbox, take it or leave it. I don't think there's any culture that should be diminished. Everybody should be able to maintain their culture and invite others into it in a very open way, given the the world I'd like to see. 
it's just the way I think we'll eventually survive as a species. Absolutely. And I think for me, that definitely resonates because I consider myself a third culture kid in that I was born here in the U.S., but my my dad was born in Guatemala. My mom uh, was born in Chicago, raised in Puerto Rico. So, you know, and Puerto Rico is still part of the U.S., but I consider myself a third culture kid in that this has been my whole life. I've code switched literally since I was little without even knowing that I was code switching because Mm. I grew up at home speaking Spanish, but I went to school most of the days speaking English. Then when I went to high school, I went to a public high school in Chicago, and I would speak a mix of, for lack of a better term, Spanglish. It's kind of like an informal turn, a mixture of Spanish and English at, in school, at high school. And then I'd come home and speak Spanish, but yet anytime I went to a public space, I would speak English. So it's, it's been so subconscious, and I think as I get older, yeah, I mean, I, I've even lived in two different countries, and I've talked about this previously, and I think the beauty of having those experiences and being taught this whole code switching from literally the moment I was born is that I'm able to pretty much adapt to any culture. I've code switched literally my whole life. (laughs) Um, And then even in terms of, I even think with my queer identity, code switching in terms of manners, in terms of behaviors. And when I came to terms with my own identity, like I would never act the way I would in front of my LGBTQ friends as I would in front of my parents. I mean, now those have kind of merged because my parents know that I'm out and that I'm part of the community. But that was even stressful at one point of having to like feeling that sense of comfort with my friends who I knew were either part of the community or who knew I was part of the community. But then having to be a completely different person when I was at home, it was torturous at times. Like I'd be like, oh, my goodness, can I just can I just say it? Can I just be me? Yeah. Um, yeah. And and that even that whole element in terms of behaviors and manners and the way I speak, it's it's it was challenging even in that regard, too. One of the things I've put in my email signature is intelligence is the ability to adapt to change by Stephen Hawking. I'm a tech nerd and into Star Trek and Star Wars and all the rest of it. Star Wars, absolutely. Yeah, Star Trek, (laughs) because that was the first time in any future space show that they actually had African Americans. Kudos to them. Kudos to Star Trek. I will give them that. There's even an encounter between uh, Nichelle Nichols, who was Lieutenant Uhura, and Martin Luther King. He was a big fan because she was thinking about quitting after the first season. And he came to meet her and he said, you can't quit. He said, this is the first time in our history that we've seen somebody in the future in a place of power, in an equality situation where where you have that much control and camaraderie. So it, if you look it up, there's, I'm sure, somewhere on the, the interweb, you'll find it. But it's, it's part of why I am into what the future looks like. What the future looks like is more about our attitudes and how we treat other people than it is about the technology. Absolutely. I, I love that. I love that analysis. And, you know, I think as we wrap up this conversation, you know, one of the things you talked about the future, but in the present, if people feel compromised by this code switching phenomenon, that I'm almost certain all of us have experienced similar to imposter syndrome, which was a topic we talked about back in November for this podcast. If people feel compromised because they feel like they can't be their authentic selves, what would you recommend to them to be able to navigate some of these challenges with code switching? Well, 
if they're feeling compromised, there is probably in the background a level of power inequality going on. And I would say you have to force yourself to take that power back so that you're not threatened or pressed by that power imbalance, but you can be smarter than it, be your authentic self, and yet move on with the goals of what you're trying to do, whether it's being a good co-worker, whether it's moving on with a presentation. Generally, humans are good. And if you find the ones that aren't, well, I think we can currently use social distancing and just go from there. It's like, okay, look, I will walk on the other side of the street because it's not important engaging you. <laughs> and even if you are personally transitioning to a new self, accept where you are, when you are, and to reach out to those who you do trust because the more we know, the more we should realize that we don't know, others may have a better idea and be open to it. Absolutely. Always be open to it. Always be open to new possibilities and new ideas, regardless of who you are, where you work, or your positionality within an organization. Thank you so much, Bert. Really appreciate it. Please continue to practice social distancing and look forward to seeing you post-quarantine period. Yeah. Anthony, it's been a pleasure. I thank you very much for having me on the, on the show. And I appreciate what I've heard. And now I appreciate what you allowed me to share. It was so good to hear Toral's voice via phone because she's a large part of the feeling and mood and style of this program. Girl, we miss you and really wish you were here with us. But it was good to hear your voice at the beginning. Thank you, thank Toral. Thank you, Toral. So, Toro, we missed you on this episode. So, I'm curious, what did you take away from the conversation? So, I definitely missed being on the episode because your conversation with Bert was so interesting. And I'm glad that I'm at least getting to do this recap because code switching is something that I've also lived with my entire life. And during your conversation, there were quite a few things that really impacted me or hit me hard. One of the first things that you and Bert talked about was that that code switching impacts multiple generations, right? And so you and Bert talked about how you guys are in different generations and that, um, you know, one of you is younger, one's a little bit older, but yet both of you experience code switching. And so that was something that was very powerful to me, that it's not just the younger generation that experiences this, but it's something that multiple generations can experience at the same time. Yeah, I was kind of stunned by that comment too when I was like, oh yeah, we are different generations and... I think for me, definitely with this concept of code switching, it's like you said, it's I think coming from different cultures, Toral, I know you have many different identities as well. You know, it's just become so much a part of the fabric of who I am that I honestly don't even think twice about it. So it just kind of flows naturally, but it looks different at work than it does in other settings. And so I think just reflecting on that for me, especially when I talked about language and the troubles I have of speaking Spanish in the workplace. Like, I didn't really think about it in this context of code switching until Bert and I had this conversation. And I think a lot of people really resonate with that in terms of speaking other languages and communicating with other folks with similar identities in those languages. I think sometimes it could be a very difficult situation to navigate, especially at work. 
Oh, I, I definitely agree with you there as well. Um, I know you and I have talked about this in, in multiple different settings personally as well. In my life, I think I'm not as consciously aware when I code switch. I think it's just because it's so natural to me, especially when I'm around people that I feel comfortable with, right? That I can go back and forth. Like you and Bert mentioned that I am more conscious of it during my working hours, right? And, and the way I present myself. One of the prime examples is that usually like if I get a call from home, and if I have to speak in Gujarati, which is the language that I speak at home, I tend to walk away from the group that I'm with. Even knowing that when I speak in Gujarati, none of them will understand what I'm saying. It's just because now I'm speaking a different language and I don't want any of them to think that I'm talking about them. That's so interesting because in I think hearing you talk about it this time, I wonder also, you know, just in regards to particularly when it happens like inside of work, speaking different languages. I think also about this element of like safety, you know, so does that does that come up for you when you think about the potentials of like what maybe the backlash could be if you continue speaking in Gujarati? So I did hear you and Bert talk a lot about safety during the episode, and I don't know that I've ever thought of me not speaking in a certain language as a safety concern for myself. I think it's just more of a I don't want others to feel uncomfortable and I don't think I've ever looked at it as a safety issue for me that they're going to put me in a box or they're going to think of me this way or they're going to think of me that way. So that that was a very unique concept when you guys talked about it because I've never looked at it that way. I also think that as I get more and more comfortable with my work group, speaking in Gujarati, it's okay because then afterwards I can just explain what my conversation was about because I still don't want them to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And I guess, you know, just to wrap up this recap, similar to what I had asked with Bert, uh, what are some suggestions if people are really struggling with code switching it's really affecting their productivity their sense of belonging what would you recommend to folks out there who are struggling to really be their authentic selves yeah so i think for me that that goes like deep down into really truly finding out or identifying who you are as an individual because it like what you mentioned um during your conversation with Bert, that code switching for you has just been a part of your life and and how you grew up right so I think it's one step one for me is getting comfortable with myself and really knowing myself and then sharing bits and pieces of that with my colleagues until I get to the point where I can share all of myself with my colleagues. Awesome, Toro. Well, we're so glad to have you on this recap. We know you couldn't be part of the interview, but we look forward and I especially look forward to seeing you when you're back in Ithaca. I am very excited to be hopefully back at Ithaca soon in the next few weeks. So the next episode will definitely be different. And thank you for figuring out a way to include me on this episode. Absolutely. I mean, what what can't we do in this virtual environment, right? We're still doing the podcast. We're still doing trainings. And so, yeah. So thank you so much for being flexible and for being on the recap for this episode. No problem. Thank you. That's it for this month's show. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe and submit a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud. It helps new listeners find us and the show. Also, if you or a fellow colleague would like to be interviewed for an upcoming episode, please email us at ie-academy at cornell.edu. My name is Toral Patel. My name is Anthony Sis. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. This podcast is a production of the Department of Inclusion and Workforce Diversity in collaboration with Cornell Broadcast Studio.
A special shout-out and thank you to Bert Odom Reed, our sound engineer, for making us sound wonderful each and every episode. Thanks, Bert.